Hello, and welcome to the Conversations with Data podcast, where we bring you the most interesting discussions around data journalism. I'm your host, Tara Kelly, and today we'll be talking with Stephanie Posovic and Miriam Quick, the co-authors of I Am A Book, I Am A Portal to the Universe. Stephanie Posovic is a designer and artist who uses data as a creative material. Her work has been exhibited internationally at major galleries, including Centre Pompidou, the V&A, the London Design Museum, and Somerset House, and is held in the permanent collection of the Museum of Modern Art in New York. She is also the co-author of Dear Data and the visual journal Observe, Collect, Draw. Miriam Quick is a data journalist and researcher who explores novel ways of communicating data. Her bylines include the BBC, the New York Times, Wired UK, and Information is Beautiful. She also co-creates data artworks exhibited at the Wellcome Collection, South Bank Center, and Royal College of Physicians. She's best known for Oddity Viz, her award-winning project, which visualizes David Bowie's song Space Oddity on 12-inch records. In addition to discussing their new book, Stephanie and Miriam talked to us about their creative process and the importance of making numbers directly relevant to people. Let's take a listen to our conversation with them now. Welcome to Conversations with Data. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so I just wondered if you guys could tell me a bit about yourselves and your work in data visualization and storytelling. I'm Miriam. I'm a data journalist. I, I write story, data stories for the BBC. I work on information design and data viz projects for clients as a researcher and a data analyst and a copywriter. And I also collaborate with artists like Stephanie and designers to make data art pieces for museums and galleries. So I'm particularly interested in working with um, data about science and also the arts um, and particularly music because I have a PhD in musicology. So I try to create musical visualizations wherever I can. As for me, I am Stephanie um, and I say I'm an information designer, artist and author. And I guess I like to say that my favorite material to work with is data and that can come in a lot of different forms from projects that you can dance through or hop through or wear, wear like um, projects with Miriam or um, another project that um, I guess a lot of people uh, know of uh, that I've uh, created is the project Dear Data, which was this year-long project with the designer Georgia Lupi, where every week we collected our personal data and then we drew it on a postcard to send to the other person. So this project culminated in a book called Dear Data and then also a journal that people could use to uh, do this uh, very personal data gathering and drawing process themselves. And that's called Observe, Collect, Draw. And then the postcards and sketchbooks that form in the project are held in the permanent collection of MoMA. Great. So talk to me about this new book of yours. Um, the two of you co-wrote, I am a book, I'm a portal to the universe. So could you just tell me, you know, the concept for this, how you came up with it, you know, and who it was aimed at? So yeah, the book is called I'm a Book, I'm a Portals to the Universe, which is a bit of a, a mouthful of a title. And it's been published in the UK just this September by particular books who are Penguin imprint. And the basic idea behind it is that the book itself is a measuring device. So you can use the book to measure things. And our working title is actually the measuring book. So that means that each one of the measurements of the book from its thickness of its pages to the noise it makes when slammed shut embodies a fascinating fact or data point. 
So we've got uh, stories in there that are about, for example, hold the book to the sky and how many stars lie behind its two pages or put the book on the ground and how many soil nematodes lie beneath the two pages. Uh, or in the time it takes to turn one page, how many babies were born and how many people died? How many molecules is the book made of? How much slower does time pass at the bottom of the book compared to the top? And all these different stories that use the book itself. And um, just to add into that, um, it's an all ages book. Well, almost all ages. We really geared it towards children aged eight and up um, all the way through to adults. And the reason we have tried to make this for as broad an audience as possible is we really wanted to write a book that was for uh, the uh, data uninitiated or data intimidated. So people who might not necessarily pick up a book with the word data or science in the title. And um, I think another uh, critical thing about the book in the book's concept is that um, we wanted to make sure that all of the data represented in the book would be on a one-to-one scale printed on the book at actual size. So you're you know, there's no abstraction. It's all, all one-to-one. And I think it, we both think it creates a very particular effect uh, um, to, ha- to have the data represented in this way in the book. And um, we had a review in the bookseller, which we were very excited about. We were one of their September picks. And they came up with this lovely phrase. They described us as a love letter to book design, which we really agree with because we think it is a love letter to book design. You know, Stephanie has a background in book design. Um, so we're really using her skills to the utmost to, to kind of tell this data-driven stories in a new way. Um, But then we thought, well, it's also a love letter to the universe. There's a kind of an environmental message to it as well. Um, And it's a kind of like a portal to the wonders of the world. You're using this book as an object through which you can see things in a new way. So it's a portal to the universe that we live in, which is where the title came from. And it also has a kind of voice. So it speaks to you as though it were a character, as though it were sentient. It speaks to you in the first person, basically. And it has this strong personality, which is quite um, quite playful, so not too serious. We didn't want to make a book that was educational, that was about fact after fact and drilling fact into people's heads. It was about just kind of lightening the whole thing and giving you this book who's a little bit arrogant, who kind of plays with you, who speaks in brackets and aside, who takes the mickey a little bit. So that was kind of the, the narrative vision, the sort of the character that sort of um, that carries you through as you read the book. Um, and another thing to say about it is that it's, uh, it is a fact book, so it's about science, it's, it's factual, but it also has these kind of fantastical elements to it. So we were trying to strike this balance between fact on the one hand and fantasy on the other and storytelling that we decided to call, um, we decided to call it data-driven magic realism. So you have the magic realism of, uh, of literature, uh, of the kind of South American writers who, who who have very realistic scenarios, but also have these kind of fantastical elements. We wanted to do the same thing, but with data. So all the numbers are as accurate as I could get them. Um, I did as much research as I could. I used peer-reviewed um, scientific papers where possible. Um, and several spreads were actually based on consultation with scientists and people we knew and people we didn't know. But you've also got these thought experiments and these kind of what-ifs. So like, what if there were air in space? What would actually happen? Uh, how loud would the sun be? Uh, what if a book could talk? Or what would happen if a book of this volume were made of water? Or what if it were made of plutonium? Uh, how many bombs could you make out of it? Or um, what if it were orbiting the earth, like so- covered in solar panels? How much energy could you get out of a book this size, this area? And so what was the process of coming up with this idea? Did you know from the beginning, okay, we want it to be 
for all ages almost and scientific or, you know, how did you guys collaborate? What was the process like? Well, um, I, I guess we're used to collaborating on um, projects together. Um, yeah, I mean, we've been working together since 2012, I think. And so we were just looking for new collaboration ideas. So actually, the idea came to us while kind of while sitting in a cafe together, coming up with ideas. And we thought, hmm, this seems interesting. And then we developed it further. Um, so that's how it actually started. Um, but as for the, um, you know, say the process from uh, when we were given the opportunity by our agent to take this forward into a full book proposal and then to then develop, you know, when we got the book deal into a full, um, to the full book. Uh, uh, we started at the beginning with, uh, yeah, the tone of voice that Miriam was describing in that way of researching the data. And then also we set ourselves a design brief at the beginning of this process. So um, the first one, which is like quite a big one, if you are dealing you're a data journalist, you're a data designer. Um, one of our big design rules was that there were no traditional charts or graphics allowed within this book. Um, so no, like we, um, so we banned bar charts, line charts, access labels, and so on. So we didn't want uh, this book to, to have anything that you might normally see in a traditional information graphic book. Um, and then uh, another rule that we made for ourselves is that uh, the book would only uh, communicate its data using what uh, we would call its superpowers. So like its ink, pages, typeface, binding, you know, all the various physical components of a book that, that you work with as a book designer. We wanted to use those to represent meaningful data in as many magical, clever, and witty ways that we could think of. Um, another rule that we gave ourselves is that uh, the interaction with the book is key. So we wanted to create a design where the physicality of the book is really embraced and interaction is integral to understanding the data concepts where you might have to hold the book in the air or put it on the ground, drop it from waist height, let pages fall from 90 degree degrees onto the table, um, wear it as a hat, um, and so on. And um, so, yeah, this is a very, like, kind of celebrating the, the physicality of this uh you know, wonderful object that, that we all love. And uh, yeah, just, use, you know, doing all of this with a, a, a mind to sort of celebrate the joy of print and typography. And so with that in mind, we would start uh, the design process with, um, with these dummy books. Yeah, so because this is an unusual book where all the stories are based on the, the measurements of the book itself, we needed to cajole our publisher to give us some blank books that had the exact same paper, the exact same cover board thickness, all the specs that the book would have. And we basically took these blank dummies, just you know, nothing printed on them and weighed them so we could find out how much it weighed. We weighed, all, we measured them in every possible dimension you could imagine. Uh, we obviously had to fix the number of pages quite early on, although it did change, which then meant we had to change all the measurements of the book later on. Um, and we did things like putting the dummies on our heads, kind of dropping them, kind of playing with them, thinking, oh, how can you actually use this book to tell a story? You know, what are the, the, what kind of potentials does it offer and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense, like testing it to its limits, sort of bending it and holding it and lifting it and kind of putting it through its paces. And this was a way that we came up with ideas. So that was one way that we came up with the ideas. Another way was simply by brainstorming all the things that we were interested in um, or that I was interested in as a researcher and, and Stephanie as well. Um, and kind of finding the, the point where the measurement of the book 
and the dimensions of the book and the ideas and the things that we're interested in met in the middle. So how can we use this book to tell this interesting story that we're interested in? And from start to finish, how long did this take you guys from the moment you came up with the idea to, to you know, this September? I'll, we'll say a good two and a half years. So a very, a very long time, but maybe not very long when publishing is concerned because publishing is notoriously slower than other other media. So you guys have worked together since 2012, you said. Did this differ in any other way than other stuff you've worked on? I, our collaboration uh, works in the same way. I, I would say most of the time in that Miriam does the data and words and I do the design and there's that like kind of un the fuzzy sparky bit in the middle where they all start to mix up and then we start to have opinions on each person's things. And that's probably where the really interesting stuff happens. So then we go away and do our things and then we bring them back to that, you know, middle, middle space. I guess for me, the only real difference was that compared to the other projects we've done, this was just much bigger. I mean, two and a half years from start to finish. And there was a bigger project management element to it for that reason um, and you know for me it was a quite new territory in terms of the material we were working with I had to become quite familiar with all the publishing industry terminology quite quickly and you know this is not a book of charts it's a book that tells its story through its own dimensions and measurements so it was a really different material to be working with I mean Stephanie and I worked together on quite original briefs where we're using data to um, to tell stories using un unusual media, but this was kind of probably the most exciting and unusual and also constrained project that we had. And I mean that in a good way, like the constraints of creative. So we were, we were, we had this, these very strict rules about having everything on the page being one-to-one -one scale and having um, limits on the kind of statistics that we could include in terms of they couldn't be too big, they couldn't be too small, they had to come across well on the page, a kind of medium scale. Um, and yeah, I think that good things came out of that, those constraints. I really enjoyed that way of working. I just wondered if the two of you um, could talk about, like, particularly Miriam, you're, you're a data journalist, you're a researcher. Like, what is your advice that you have on working with data designers and, and designers? Like, is there anything that you wish, I mean, you guys have worked together for a long time, but is there advice you can give to people who are listening about, you know, what are some of the things that you've learned over the years? Yeah, sure. So um, I think there's a few things. And um, one is that the story must emerge from the data itself. So my previous background was um, in academia. I did a PhD in musicology. I came from a humanities background. I worked with data, but I didn't work with data. Uh, it wasn't a particularly central part of my research, uh, at least to begin with. I'm not from a quantitative background. Um, and one of the things I had to learn quite early on is that the story really must come from the data itself when you're writing a data-driven story. You can obviously angle things, but you can't shoehorn in a point if the data doesn't support it. It has to something has to be something that leaps out with the visualization. So uh, one of the things I've learned is that drawing exploratory plots is really useful as part of the, obviously, data analysis, but also you know, while you're researching and gathering data to try and understand what kinds of insights data sets can support in a visual way and not just in a kind of abstract way. You know, looking at a spreadsheet is very difficult, very different to looking at a chart. Um, and one of the other things I think was my tendency early on when I was uh, 
again, coming from this academic background, was to give the designer loads of notes, you know, like absolutely loads of footnotes and caveats and sources. And, and I quickly realized that they weren't actually reading them and they weren't, they weren't contributing in any meaningful way to the results. So I learned to kind of uh, slim that down a little bit. So I think it's a case of uh, striking a balance between giving all the, the designer all the information they need and not overwhelming them with information that may or may not be relevant and probably isn't going to make it into the visualization. That said, you've obviously got to include important caveats and contexts where they where that is essential information. So, um, or for example, if the data might mislead you in a particular way, it's really important to flag these things up and make sure the designer knows about that from the start. So it's just um, making that judgment about what the designer actually needs that, for that particular project and at that particular time. Um, and again, just understanding that there are certain forms, while there are certain forms of visualization can naturally take based on the shape of the data, um, what you think is the right form for that data is not necessarily going to be the same as what the designer thinks is the right form for that data. And Stephanie, as, as a data designer, you know, working with data journalists or researchers, you know, what's your perspective well, I mean, Miriam's probably right. I probably wouldn't read uh, the footnote <laughs> footnotes in, in in her uh, in her spreadsheets. Maybe just because I, uh, it's, yeah, it's interesting to think about because I think if you are a designer and you are interested in translating the number to form, you're probably more um, visually minded anyway. So it's uh, sometimes spreadsheets can become overwhelming to us. Um, but I think I really just second, uh, well, this is a couple points. I second what Miriam says. I think I really love this collaboration because uh, working with data experts and really Miriam is the main data expert that I work with. And so I just really, she knows a lot about data and able to transform and analyze it in ways that I will never know. So I just really respect her expertise, let her do her job. Um, and I really like that, you know, we each have our own space and I don't feel, you know, we don't feel like we're stepping on each other's, uh, toes. And so, yeah, I just trust what she's doing and I know it will be, um, yeah, I think it's, the, I think trust is like what Miriam said is really important. You just have to trust that the other person, um, knows what they're doing and then you come together and then give each other feedback. And that's where, where, um, you know, it all, it all comes together. Maybe my big advice as a designer is, is just to work with data journalists because when I um, originally started out in this field like 10 years ago when information graphics were very popular and every agency was kind of commissioning them at the time and they would expect me to be um, c coming up to statistical conclusions in their data sets and they'd say, well, this makes sense and they do some calculations and I'm like, well, that doesn't feel right to me. I know there's something wrong here and I don't feel comfortable with this, but they're just okay coming to these conclusions, but it doesn't seem accurate. So it just felt like such a relief for me to, to work with someone who is an expert. And so, you know, that makes me happy as a designer because it means that I can just focus on the bit that I love best, which is that, that translation of number to form. So it's about finding someone you can trust and who know who's an expert like Miriam. If if you are a data designer or you're a designer who wants to move into numbers, you have to work with the right person and vice versa, right? Well, because I think designers who maybe don't work with data can find data intimidating, but it doesn't have to be like you don't have have to be an expert in everything. You just have to work with the right people. And when you finally do find those collaborations, and that's really when things can flourish. 
And so I wondered if you guys could share, you know, some of the pieces of data design work you've done, you know, that either you've done or others have done that have inspired you, impressed you. So there is a piece, it's quite old now, it's from 2002, it's by Martin Wattenberg, and it's called Shape of Song. And it's a visualization of uh, structure in different pieces of music. I think there's one for Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, uh, there's one for our various songs and so on. And it shows the repeated sections as these um, arcs that link uh, the, the sections that are repeated. And it gives you the effect of these like overlapping circles. So I definitely re- recommend looking, looking it up. And um, this, I think, was a real inspiration for me. So as I said, when I was doing um, my PhD, I was interested in visualization. I was interested in translating sound into into graphics. And this for me was a bit of a breakthrough moment in terms of realizing what you could actually do in that area, that you could do these uh, graphics that were um, incredibly artistic and original and also insightful and interesting and that had some analytical value. I think that was a kind of penny drop moment for me. I think we're we're responding to this and like, you know, what's the, what was the turning point for us? This like realization that this could be a space that we could work in. And I will actually second it and just say that Shape, Shape of Song by Martin Wattenberg um, was the work that I saw um, when I was on my MA in communication design. I did this at St. Martin's in London, you know, from about 2004 to 2006. And so I was I was on a communication design course and I was interested in mapping and mapping abstract things. And so I always thought I was doing mapping, but, um, and I'm starting to like look at early data visualization, but I didn't really know what data visualization was at the time. Um, but then I saw, um, these, uh, visualizations that Miriam described and I have my old sketchbooks from my masters and I, you know, I cut, you know, I copied one and then I cut it out and I pasted it in my sketchbook because it, it was just such an elegant representation of these invisible patterns um, found within music and just done in just like with the, the barest of forms, but uh, just like the sim- simplest of rules, but it just looked so, so beautiful. And I thought that is something that I always want to strive for. And I only discovered this because we just talked about uh, Miriam brought this up on when we first spoke about our book on the day of its launch. And I didn't realize that we were both looking at the same work at the same time when we were studying and figuring out what we were gonna do in the world. And then it turns out that, you know, we ended up having these careers and then doing this book together at the end of it. What are the things you guys look for when you're coming up with project ideas? Do you look at other people's stuff or do you just, does it come to you like in a a moment, like in the shower and you're suddenly like, I have to do this or is it, the two of you talking together like you did in the cafe? It's much more the two of us talking together. Um, There is obviously inspiration, but there is a lot of deliberation as well. Uh, We're quite exhaustive in how we work and we really try to find things that haven't been done before to do things that are actually original. And I think both of us are quite driven to do that and not to just repeat things that people have done before. Um, I think... We have a sense, a clear sense now of the kinds of things that we work best together on. So projects that are quite friendly and accessible, they're often quite multi-sensory. Uh, they might involve, you know, 
touch and movement as well as, as the visual sense. Um, they will speak to a broad audience, often an all ages one, and they'll go beyond a traditional information graphic or data visualization. So we'll be thinking about doing things like turning data into music or jewelry, or I know Stephanie's worked on that piece that transformed data into dance steps and murals or with this book, we're embedding it into the dimensions of the book. And we're always trying to stretch beyond what's been done before and to, to translate data in new ways into new forms. And do you guys see yourselves as like data artists in a way? I mean, because it sounds like art to me. I think Stephanie is definitely a data artist. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. I'm not, I would say that I am a designer who creates art commissions. So I don't think I'm like a traditional studio artist or anything, but I think. Um, I think maybe Miriam and I, when we create collaborative, work on collaborative projects together, they might be like art commissions with a designer's hat on, where we are always, I feel like we're always, we are creating designs with a particular audience in mind all the time. So it's never like we, there's always a client, a client. it's the spaceless uh, uninitiated, very broad audience. So I think there's always a bit of the design hat on, even if we are exploring uh, quite a creative kind of pushing the boundary space. But I, I think that's really positive because I think maybe our role is to work on the edges of data visualization and to just show people what's possible and um, kind of if it inspires somebody to slightly change something in that chart or maybe come up with a different idea for a piece of data journalism, even if it's a small change, then that's still positive. So yeah, we're, we're just trying to push where I think, think that's our job. Our job is to push. That brings me into the next question. I mean, Stephanie, you've talked a lot about post infographic explorations, you know, what exactly does that mean? And like, do you feel like the data world, the data visualization world, or even like the data journalism world can feel a bit stale at times? Like we're just kind of doing the same thing over and over again, aren't we? I mean, you aren't, but I think others in this field, there's a lot that they can move beyond, right? Well, I mean, it's like like uh, what Miriam was saying. I mean, we are trying to do something that hasn't been done before. And I would venture to say that, you know, Miriam and I have worked on lots of infographics, lots of data visualization separately and together. And I think for both of us, um, yeah, I, I guess we've described how we ha we feel a little bit of a, a chart fatigue, or or we've grown tired of only using um, the standard information graphic or data visualization um, formats as ways of communicating um, information and data, and so. Yeah, I think we do need to move one step further. And I think that's the best, the, the most exciting part of uh, working as a designer, this challenge of coming up with new concepts and new ideas in your chosen design space. The one thing that I will add is just that um, this, the book that we've created was really a result of this chart fatigue that we had, this infographic fatigue where we had worked in this space for a really long time. And um, like the infographic book was an innovative format like a decade ago, and it's completely transformed the data, data design landscape. But, um, you know, it's long since been superseded by online graphics. So we're like, how do you take an informative data driven book and change it and move it into a new space, you know, instead of just kind of treading over what's already 
um, been done in the past. And so that was actually in the back of our mind. And that's why we made this book. And that brings me to data resources and also events. I was just thinking events would be good, but now with COVID, it seems like events are all on Zoom. But are there any like resources, books, I don't know, podcasts you listen to regularly that you can recommend for data journalists and data designers? Well, the Data Stories podcast is always good. Um, we The visualizingdata.org, Andy Kirk's site is really amazing resource for uh, all sorts of things. It's got a, a tool, I believe, that, that shows you what kind of chart type you can make with each tool, which is pretty useful. Um, the I use our, our world in data a lot. Um, it's quite well known, but if you haven't heard of it, you should definitely check it out. It's uh, a really great resource that has lots of data sets and charts on global topics and things like, I don't know, COVID-19 uh, cases and um, inequality and uh, income and all that kind of thing um information is beautiful awards uh, it do it, i believe they're now ending but it's uh, a really great resource looking back through the archive of previous graphics and um, particularly looking at the winners it's been going for some years now i believe about eight nine years so the uh the archive is a fantastic resource just to look at best practice examples of of graphics and um data viz in the field and Miriam, you said you're putting together a podcast? Yeah, that's right. I'm working with uh, the data journalist Duncan Gear, and we are putting together a podcast on data sonification. It's called Loud Numbers, and it will be, we hope, fingers crossed, ready end of this year or early next year. So we are working on it at the moment. And the idea is that every episode, we will take a data set and we will sonify it. We will create music. Uh, that's uh, created using code uh, that, that that represents the data, and we will uh, create a whole episode around exploring that data set through sound. And uh, at the moment, we have a newsletter which you can sign up to at loudnumbers.net, or we're on Twitter, loudnumbers, Instagram. Having done quite a lot of music in the past, but never really brought music and data together in that way, it's a really interesting kind of voyage of discovery for me, learning what you can and can't do with sound, what works, what doesn't work, how do you make data sound good, it's not always easy, um, and just kind of really exploring that space. Marvelous. Um, and I wonder what you both think about what needs to happen next for the world of data visualization and data storytelling so we can reach wider audiences. Um, for me, I think the word data is a bit of a stumbling block for some people, uh, particularly when it comes to reaching a kind of broad, very broad audience. Um, I think a lot of people are put off by it. So we deliberately didn't include the word data in our book. I'm a book, I'm a portal to the universe. We, we left it out, except in our bios where we couldn't really avoid it because Stephanie's previous book is called Dear Data. So yeah, uh, the reason we have an issue with the word is that it sounds kind of technical. It sounds, people sort of associate it with with being dry and boring, not people who work within the field, of course, but people outside of data visualization. Um, and it's maybe seen as something for specialists rather than rather than for everyone. And I was wondering whether perhaps just simply swapping the word out as appropriate in particular contexts with things like patterns or textures or just facts or numbers or simply saying information instead of data. And finally, um, what's next for you both? Or is there a project you guys are working on together that you're thinking about, another book or another collaboration? So we uh, we 
would like very much like to do another book. Um, we can't reveal anything about it at the moment, mainly because it's not fixed in our own minds either. But it will be. Uh, so we'll be we will be putting together a proposal for that very soon. And I'm sure we'll work on other art projects together as they come up. Yeah, I mean, I think like, yeah, for the two of us, it is just uh, working on, uh, I think a book proposal is it. And then otherwise, um, I guess Miriam is doing loud numbers and I am uh, working as an artist in residence uh, with uh, the People Like You research project between um, Warwick Goldsmiths and Imperial College, uh, working on the impact of data personalization. So I'm making artwork about how people in biobanks, in their data, in a biobank um, that holds a lot of health data, how they are perceived by the people that that use this data. So um, yeah, lots of interesting things both together and separately. You two have a lot of exciting stuff ahead. Um, well, thank you so much. Um, Stephanie Posovic and Miriam Quick for joining us today on Conversations with Data. It was really interesting hearing your insights and, and understanding how this book came together. And thank you so much for you know, both of your time. Thank you. Thank you for having us. A big thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I've been your host, Tara Kelly, and that's all for now. See you next time.